Hey, uh, good morning, uh, Christ City Church. Good morning, um, everybody that is tuning in uh, through YouTube and through the Zoom uh, channel. We're thrilled that you're joining us this morning. I, I Look, I pray that you've had uh, just a great uh, weekend. The, the weather in D.C. has been absolutely gorgeous. I hope you got outside and was able to kind of move around a bit. Uh, listen, my name is Matthew Watson, and I serve as pastor of teaching and outreach here at Christ City, and I just, I wanted to add my voice to those that have already welcomed you this morning. Thank you again for joining us and tuning in. I also want to send a welcome, uh, we we mentioned it earlier, but I want to send a welcome uh, to all of the students and all of the teachers who are joining us in service this morning. I know that many of you are finishing up your first couple of weeks of the start of the new school year, and I simply want to say to you that your church is proud of you. Uh, we know that the last school year was a challenge with all of the distance learning, and now that most of you are in person, there's uh, other challenges uh, facing you with finding your footing in this new school year. Uh, but students and teachers, we, we're praying for you. Uh, we want to encourage you. Uh, we see the work that you're putting in, and uh, we're praying that this year that it's a solid year uh, with lots of learning and, and lots of milestones that are hit and just lots of progress. And so with the start of school and um, uh, everything, we just want to acknowledge you and say thank you for all that you're doing and the work that you're putting in. Um, with the start of school and with Labor Day on us, um, I also want to say a quick word about the summer that we've just had at Christ City. Um, often, uh, the truth of it is, we're not very good sometimes at telling the story of how God is using us as a church. But this summer, God has used this church in powerful, powerful ways. Let me just name a few. In the past two months, Christ City has provided backpacks to minor elementary school children and supplied hundreds of diapers. I mean, we've almost hit the thousand diaper mark this summer alone to Ward 6 residents in need through the minor mutual aid. We've hosted six small groups through the summer as we've wrestled with what it means to understand the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst and also the Spirit's invitation as we move forward. Now look, in addition uh, to those small groups happening, happening, small groups have received, small group leaders have received training in facilitating faithful conversations on race and faith by a nationally recognized diversity and equity trainer in order that we might more effectively lead our small groups this fall. And Christ City has led the way in welcoming a refugee family fleeing Afghanistan, providing food, providing the family with, with housing and food and clothing and hospitality and medical care and generosity. One of the members of the family was 38 weeks pregnant when she arrived and has since given birth, growing the family from five to six. And on this point, I want to specifically acknowledge the tireless work of Andrea Ackerman, Lisa Rodriguez Watson, and Nikki Wiggins, um, and all that they have done. Absolutely, yeah. Give a shout out. And, you know, I need some hand claps in the chat over there now. All the work that they have done to lead our church in this resettlement process. And by the way, I haven't even mentioned everything. That's just July and August, family. I am in awe at how God is using this church. And I hope that you are too. But not just awe, but I'm also filled with anticipation, anticipating how God will use us as we move forward into the fall season. In addition to the start of small groups that we've just mentioned that are starting this week, this fall we have the opportunity to continue to provide volunteer and prayer support to the minor elementary school community. We have a chance to celebrate with our neighborhood and our neighbors safely on the H, during the H Street Festival. We're going to cultivate joy with our Rosedale neighborhood neighbors at the Halloween Festival at the end of October. 
We have uh, the chance to double down on our support of families in crisis through DC 127. Join them for prayer after the service. And we must continue the ongoing work of advocating for quality affordable housing at Reservation 13 as the mayor's office nears a decision on which developer will build on that site. And and listen, I'm just naming like the highlights. I'm not just saying everything because I don't want to overwhelm you. You can find it on the scoop or in the chat or somewhere. Church, listen, momentum is building. God is at work. The Spirit is stirring in us and inviting us in uh, to join in this kingdom building, justice displaying, soul healing work of salvation. This is our invitation and this is what's up ahead. But let me say this. If we are to sustain in this work ahead, if we are to continue to collectively move forward in what God is doing through us, we must also attend to the work that God wants to do in us. This is why it's going to be important for you to be a part of a small group, to surround yourself with others who can remind you of God's love and God's embrace toward you, to be rooted in a community that points you towards Jesus, that works together to uncover the idols in our lives and replace them with a passionate love for Jesus and our neighbor. It's going to be important for us to cultivate faithful rhythms of soul care and daily practices that anchor us in the gospel truth of God's grace rather than the world's narrative that says you are only as good as you contribute to the bottom line. I say all that to say it's an exciting time to be a part of Christ City and all that God is doing in us for the sake of our world. Thank you uh, for saying yes to the Spirit's leading this summer. Thank you for all of it, for diapers and backpacks and meals and refugee sanctuary. Like, let's collectively praise God for all of that. And let's collectively carry that same energy into the fall, sustained by the care and comfort of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Now, just want to get that out there. Listen, tomorrow is Labor Day. It's the last weekend of the summer season. Uh, It's the weekend that helps us kind of close out one season and move into the fall. Labor Day. I know a lot of us are going to be, you know, resting and maybe, you know, firing up the grill or whatever. I know that's what I'm going to be up to. I did a bit of digging uh, on the history and the origins of Labor Day. And as it turns out, it began as a celebration of the labor movements in the late 1800s. It was a day that was set aside the first Monday in September to honor the American worker. Oregon, Oregon of all places, was actually the first state to officially celebrate Labor Day in 1887. Other states quickly followed, and finally, in 1894, it became a federal holiday. There's often, like, you know, we come into Labor Day, there's a lot of articles and conversations around Labor Day and about work and the American worker, and there's a lot of being written about labor shortages in many industries. Uh, This weekend, I even saw an article that was advocating for industries to use 13 and 14-year-olds to fill the labor shortages. Labor, work, and industries on a lot of our minds these days, not just this weekend. A while back, Time Magazine came out with an article about the productivity of American workers and the number of hours that Americans work. Turns out, uh, Americans are like top five in the world in productivity and top five in the world on the number of hours worked. Americans, according to some studies, work more than anyone in the industrialized world, more than French, more than English, and uh, more than Japanese and other countries. American workers, they, uh, they take, we take less vacation. Unfortunately, we work longer days and we retire later as well. 
And while that doesn't always mean that we're more productive, though, uh, apparently Luxembourg uh, is the most productive country in the world, but they only work 29 hours. And I, I'm not sure what's happening over there, but I got to, it just baffles me. But anyway, shout out to Luxembourg. There's a, there's a culture of hustle that's kind of steeped in the ethos and mythos of our culture. It's not enough to hustle. Like, you also got to have a side hustle, right? And I appreciate that to a degree. Um, as we emerge out of the previous season of pandemic uh, and enter another season of it, and we adjust to work, we're, we're asking a lot of questions this Labor Day about work. I was... Um, I was recently talking with one of our Kid City volunteer leaders, uh, Paul Hartje, about when he would return to work. And he shared about the long path to in-person work that his consulting firm was planning and the ways that that was going to affect his work and his work day. Our, our work days and our workplaces and, and, and our work hours, our working hours, they're, they're more malleable than they've ever been in this season. And it looks like they will continue to be moving forward. And there is something that's, you know, creative and innovative about this season that we're all in as we consider our relationship with our work. And there's, there's something good, but there's, there's also something sinister to our shared work ethic. While work is actually something that God establishes as good, for there was work in the Garden of Eden. God commands Adam, he commands Eve, he says, hey, I got a task for you, I got a job, here's what I want you to do, I want you to name all of the animals. I think it's like, a, like some ancient form of like data entry. And then he proposed uh, the first people to tend to the garden. However, in the beginning, work wasn't the chore and it wasn't the frustration that it is now on this side of the fall. There remain ways that, uh, that our work, that it points to the creative nature of God and his creative work in creation and his redemptive work in and through humanity. There's a connection between our work and God's ongoing work in the world, even if it can be hard to see that connection sometimes. And yet the thing is, for, for so many of us, work can become idols in our lives, something that's intended to be good and God-honoring it can also be withering. It can be soul-crushing. But it can also be identity-forming and worth-giving in these really distorted ways. You see, in God's kingdom, work is meant to be God-honoring and dignity-giving. Our worth is to be located in our relationship with Jesus, not in our productivity or in our esteemed careers. Tomorrow, we got this federal holiday honoring work and workers. But what most of us will spend the day doing is something other than work. We'll spend the day hopefully resting. And this morning, on the eve of Labor Day, I, I actually, I don't want to preach on work, although I've spent a good bit talking about it already. I'd rather talk about rest and rhythms of rest. Because rest, like work, was actually crafted by God. It's actually an antidote to the work idol making that is such a temptation for us. And also, I want to say um, that today is going to be the first in, in, a, in a short three-part series, or, or better said, a three-part conversation that I and the preaching team at Christ City want to have with you about how it is that we live in this space that's now and not yet. Today, I want to share a bit on how we dance between work and rest. Next week, Justin will guide us in considering who we are in Christ and who we are invited to become. And Andrea will invite us into an in-between space where grief and joy actually hold hands and dwell together. 
In Matthew chapter 11, passage that we read earlier, Jesus gives an, an invitation. It's an invitation to rest. Now, before we jump into 11, it's, it's helpful to understand the drama of Jesus' statement in chapter 11 uh, by peeking into chapter 12. In Matthew 12, uh, on two different occasions, Jesus is challenged by the religious leaders of the day about whether or not Jesus is keeping the Sabbath, the, the Jewish holy day that was originally set aside for rest and for reflection. However, the religious leaders, they've twisted it into a collection of rules to follow, and, and they've made what was meant to be a day of rest and renewal, and they've made it uh, not about man's ability, but they just made it about how you're going to follow the rules, not about God's generosity. And because of this version, this perversion of the Sabbath, Jesus uh, accuses them of condemning those who are innocent in the eyes of God. And so on the one hand, you have those who stand in resistance to Jesus saying essentially, hey, listen, and after you work hard all of these days, after you work hard as unto the Lord, you ought to come to the end of the week and what you need to find there is more work, more rules, and more self-centered sacrifice. But yet in contrast to that, Jesus is saying, that's not it. In Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Even in Jesus' words, though, there's a, there's a recognition that work is a part of life and a part of what it means to follow Jesus. But there's also a cadence to what he's saying, a, a, a rhythm to his invitation. Come to me, find rest. Work with me, take my yoke you will find rest. Take from me, my burdens are light. There's a, there's a back and forth to it. There's a beat to it, a melody to it that anchors on Christ. And I fear that in our work productivity grind that our work lives have become that, that we are missing this rhythm to the detriment of our lives. Um, Jude Tiersma Watson is a professor at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, California, and she's an author and urban minister. In an article she wrote a few years back, she notes that, that humanity and, and the planet really was created for rhythms. We're created to follow a beat or a pulse or a cadence, and, th and that rhythm included a rest. God created the world in six days, and then God rested. There's life cycles and water cycles. There's a pattern to seasons. The leaves fall in autumn, and then they're reborn in spring. Uh, Harry Baker is a spoken word artist and author who lives in the city of Margate, located on the British coast. In a piece that he wrote recently reflecting on his life during the pandemic, he says, I've been looking up the tide times recently. Imagine where and when you go, decided by the phases of the moon, knowing you are part of something so much bigger than you. Oceans, as big as they are, they have rhythms to them. Modern life, it gives us few reminders of the life rhythms we were meant to keep. The thing is, we, we used to go to sleep and get up with the sun. Lives used to follow the agricultural season, seasons of planting and harvesting, and uh, the season when the ground was to lay fallow and empty so the soil could rest. It seems like our rhythms only swirl around when or when don't pumpkin spice lattes show up. 
Now we live in a 24-7 world, constantly at work and constantly plugged in and still expected to be fruitful year-round. Our lives and our souls have an arrhythmia to them. Arrhythmia is most associated with an abnormal heartbeat. It's when your heart doesn't receive the proper electrical signals and it beats too fast or too slow and it's out of rhythm. Arrhythmia can cause pain in the chest. It can cause confusion and fainting and dizziness. And in some cases, it can lead to death. I think that life arrhythmias can do the same. When our lives are lived under a constant arrhythmic pattern, patterns that we weren't designed for, I think it makes our hearts hurt. It makes our chests hurt. It clouds our minds. And in the worst cases, it leads to a slow death. Our lives were meant to have rhythm. And that's what Jesus is offering us in Matthew 11, a life with him that carries a cadence of grace in it. Coming to Jesus and rest is given. Taking on his yoke and rest is given. Learning from him and rest is given. Um, At my house, uh, I got an old house uh, here, not far from where we're meeting. Uh, And in my house, I got some window units. Now, look, I'm going to tell you, I know some of y'all have like really fancy like central AC and air and stuff. We got it here in the office and it's really special. But man, I love me a window unit. I know they, they kind of like can look terrible. Mine are really old. But I got to say, man, there's nothing better than going to sleep under the cold hum of an AC window unit, man. And I tell you, I get hassled about this by my wife. But man, I run the AC and a fan because that's how I like to sleep. <laughs> But I got one that's noisy. And that, the thing is about the hum of the AC unit is that the same hum that rocks you to sleep, it can also annoy you, especially when you're trying to like talk to somebody in the room. There's just this loud whir. When we used to have small group at our house, um, whoever sat closest to the AC, there was two things about them. They had to bring a jacket because it was going to be cold, and then they had to be shouted at because they couldn't hear anything that was going on in the small group. It's just this, this hum and this whir. There's also this other sound that can be heard at my house. Um, it's Latin music, mostly Afro-Cuban music. Lisa, my wife's family, is originally from Cuba. And so when we're doing chores and when the kids come home or as we're cooking dinner or whatever, we'll hit the Cuban station on the Spotify and we'll just kind of dance our way through the tasks at hand or chopping up or cooking or whatever. And you just can't help but move when you, when you hear the horns and the drums and the congas and the cadence and the call of the singers. I mean, it's just intoxicating. It makes every task you're doing better. As soon as the music starts, my daughter and Lee, she'll run to me. We'll start to dance a little bit. And there's just something in us that longs for that, that longs for that movement, that longs for rhythm. And the thing is that I worry that so many of us are living lives like the rhythmless hum of my air conditioner rather than the soulful sounds of Juan de Marcos Gonzalez. At the risk of getting too prescriptive here, there are two daily rhythms that I actually just want to extend to you. Do things that have helped me and that have helped saints throughout the ages. Two rhythms that I want to suggest to you, and those are prayer and fasting. Now, listen, before you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I got it. I know, I know prayer and fasting. Hang on. I, I'm, I'm speaking about a specific kind and time of prayer and a specific type of fast. Here's what I want to present. I want to invite you to cultivate a daily rhythm of kneeling prayer three times a day. First thing that you do in the morning, last thing you do at night, and then you do it in the midday. Justin Early writes in his book, The Common Rule, he says, we, we all desire to shape our chaotic days into lives with meaning. 
that begins with punctuating our days with words, the words of prayer. First thing you do when you wake up, drop to your knees and pray. Most mornings when I do this, I pray the Lord's Prayer and then a short prayer to the Lord on behalf of the day ahead. And then likewise, the last thing that I do before I hit the sack and drift off, the last words of the day I get on my knees are prayers of thanksgiving and prayers and trusting the day's work to the Lord who watched over me while I labored and now will watch over me while I rest. And then during the midpoint of the day, typically for me it's towards the afternoon, I stop my work and my thoughts and I pray again, thanking God for the gift of the day. And then I use that moment to recenter my mind and my heart on Christ. Some days are better than others. I've come to appreciate the kneeling prayer because it forces me to change my posture. And often the only ways that we can take hold of our mind is to take hold of our bodies, to to rearrange our bodies in a manner that arrests our thoughts and allows us to adjust our attention. That's kneeling prayer. The other practice that I want to put forward is fasting. But I want to speak to a specific fasting, namely fasting from media. This practice is newer for me, and frankly, I'm a bit more sporadic than I'm proud to admit here, but I'm going to do it to the YouTube viewing audience who is watching via media. (laughs) But just to say that I'm working on it, and it has long been needed in my life. Here's the practice. Each day, for an hour a day, turn off your phone. Put it on the charger and step away from it so that you can intentionally be present. Because the temptation of being online and being connected is the temptation to try to be omnipresent, to be present in all of the places all at once. I want to be on Twitter. I want to be on Instagram. I want to be on emails. I want to be gaming with my buddies. I want to be scrolling the news. I want to be all present. And what that means is that I want to be God. But I'm not. And the pursuit of being all present, the temptation to try and be Uh, everywhere all at once has a fracturing effect on our lives and our relationships and contributes to the arrhythmia of our days. And the way to break that is to fast, to set it aside, to step away from the mirage of omnipresence and step into true presence, being present with yourself, with your family, with your friends, with your God, being present in the moment that is in front of you in the flesh and in the here and in the now. So be present. Pray and fast. Start with those two rhythms and allow them to punctuate your mornings and your days and your life. But the thing is, it's not just about a rhythm. It's also about a rest. Jesus doesn't just want us, he doesn't just invite us into a life that's like better sorted with healthier rhythms. It's not just about some best practices of work-life balance. The invitation that Jesus has for us and for our lives, it's far more than that. Matthew 11 doesn't simply have Jesus saying, come to me all who are weary and I'll give you balance or come to me and I'll give you a good rhythm or even less work. I'm not sure that that's what he's saying either. No, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, learn from me. You'll find rest for your souls. In Christ, we find rest and not just rest like a nap, Oh yeah, you know, not, not just rest like, hey, let me, let me take like a snooze real quick. For we all know we can sleep 10 hours a day and wake up tired. We can return from a vacation feeling exhausted. But what Jesus is offering is a rest, a space and a way of living that affords us a chance to refocus on God and renewing our lives in Jesus. 
Because it's, it's not just about a rhythm, but it's also about a rest in that rhythm. One of my favorite uh, professors from seminary, uh, Dr. Don Simmons, um, Don and I, uh, he was a professor of mine at seminary, and then later we worked together at a community development organization in Fresno. He's one of my oldest and uh, good friends now. When Don and I were living in Fresno, um, he bought an old abandoned house um, just around the corner from where we worked. The house was over 100 years old, and it was absolutely falling apart. I remember when he got the keys and, and he asked me to walk through it with him and we had to walk through and like there were boards missing. We had to make sure we didn't fall through. It just dilapidation was all around. Copper wires had been stripped out of the walls. Feral cats and rodents had taken up residence. And there was trash and stench just everywhere. The house was in uh, downtown. It was in a beautiful but, but just economically really hard hit neighborhood. But for all of its eyesore, the, heart, the house captured Don's heart. And he bought it, the house, and he spent years restoring it. And since he bought it, he's since restored it to its original glory. He's, he's won historic preservation awards for his house. I don't have a picture of what it looked like before, but I do have one of Don sitting in the street in front of his house now. You can see the house in the background. Don's house um, kind of is surrounded uniquely. There's a women's shelter towards the back side of it. It's a home for women fleeing domestic violence. There's a Immigration attorney's office on one side of it. Folks that are likewise looking for a new future. Directly across the street from Don's house is a community center for disadvantaged youth. In many ways, that house is surrounded by places, by places of pain, and, but also places of hope. And in that regard, Don's house fits right into the story of the neighborhood. And his porch is a sign of hope for many of his neighbors, a lot of whom just they come by, they sit on the porch, they spend time, they linger there. And often Don will go inside, he'll open up the doors and windows, and he'll play the piano and let the music waft out, waft over the, the house for women and the immigration attorney's office and the youth across the street. Don's a musician, and he named his house Villa Fermata. I asked him about the name, and he told me that Fermata is a musical notation. You see, when a fermata is written into music, it means to pause or to rest for an unspecified length of time. When Johann Sebastian Bach would place it in his concertos and chorals, it, it meant take a breath for as long as you need it. As we give consideration to Jesus' invitation to come to him, it isn't just an invitation to live into healthier rhythms, but it is also to recognize that with that rhythm comes times to rest with him and to allow his life into us and to refresh us. In a world like ours and a pace like ours, my sense is that Jesus wants to offer us a few more fermatas a few more rests of unspecified length so that we might know the rest that truly comes from the Lord, the one who truly, truly renews.